Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here with us at CCC today. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, as we continue our our Christmas series um, entitled He Is, it's an opportunity for us to reflect on and try to make some sense out of who was this baby in the manger? Who was he? And why do we carve out so much time and so much attention, not just here, not just in churches here in our country, but around the world for centuries to focus on him? I love ideas. Um, I have sometimes been called a dreamer. I love to think of things and let them float around in my head and ask myself the question, wouldn't it be great if fill in the blank? Um, Anyone identify with me? Anyone out there? I love to think about things, dream about them. Wouldn't it be great if, come on, I know there's a few more of you out there that are admitting that. So now how many of you dread when you hear a spouse, a coworker, or a friend come to you and say, wouldn't it be great if, this is, the, this is the spouses of all the people that just put their hands up, you know, um, because they come with to you with some grandiose scheme or idea or plan and really have no idea at all how to execute that plan. Uh, when I come up with these ideas, I generally bring them to my wife and um, when I bring them to my wife, I'm usually greeted with about 10 to 15 questions that begin with, how in the world are you going to do this? How are you going to pay for this? How are you going to have the time for this? And the questions go on and on and on. And I will usually say to her, can you just let me live in my dream world for just a few minutes? And then we'll try to figure that out and explore it. For many years, it frustrated me, but I came to realize that having those questions answered is actually a good thing. Because while dreams and ideas are fun to land in and sit with for a period of time, if they never get executed, it produces a lot of frustration and futility. So I've come to value the idea of a well-thought-out plan and not experience frustration for those that ask me questions, but help me sort it out, say, is this really even a reality? Do we discard it, or is there some way it's going to happen? So how often does that happen to you when you come to God with something that's going on in your life? You decide you're going to trust Him, you decide you're going to take a risk, you decide you're going to take this to God, and then you ask yourself the question, will He come through? Will He come through? Or are all those things that you hear in church, that you hear religious people talk about, that they say to you about God, are those just things designed to make you feel good in the moment but they really don't do any good long term. And really the question that we're asking ourselves is, will Jesus come through? Will Jesus come through? I'm kind of out of options. I don't have anywhere else to turn. I don't have any other solutions. And so I've decided I'm going to turn to Jesus, but is he going to come through? Is he going to come through with my relationship that's struggling? Is he going to come through with my finances or my job? Is he going to come through when I don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning? Is he going to come through when I don't even know if life is worth living anymore? Is he going to come through when my deep personal struggles are sucking the life out of me? And is he going to come through when there's no other options for the disease that I'm fighting? Is he going to come through? Is he going to come through? Some of you are sitting there thinking, of course he is. I've experienced him coming through in the past, and I'm just waiting, curious, wondering, how's he going to come through this time? What's it going to look like this time? For others of you, you're sitting there thinking, I've been down that road before, John. You're not going to hook me in one more time. I've turned to God, and I, I, but he doesn't always come through. 
and, and I'm here because I'm, I'm a decent person and I do the church thing, but I, I'm not going to trust God with all of those things. He didn't heal my mom when I asked him to do that. Um, he didn't save my marriage when I asked him to do that. He didn't help me out, bail me out of a financial dilemma that wasn't even my fault when I asked him to do that. And others of you are wondering, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if God, if Jesus will come through. I've never tried that option before. I've just kind of made life work on my own, and it's actually worked out pretty well. I'm doing pretty well, but I've never actually even considered what would it look like for me to decide I'm going to let Jesus take over a part of my life and do something with that arena of my life. Well, last week, Tim launched our series entitled, He Is, and our series is based on this question of who is this baby in the manger that we've devoted our lives to focusing on, not only here and not only in country, but around the world for several, for hundreds of years. And who is this baby in the manger? Who is he? Who is he? And Tim began last week by exploring what does this mean for him to be the wonderful counselor, a name that was given to him uh, uh, centuries before he was born. And Tim raised this question. He asked us, he says, if you seek answers or challenge us with this thought, if you seek answers to life decisions, maybe you should consider going to the wonderful counselor. And my question is, if I go to the wonderful counselor, will he come through? And maybe not will he come through, but does he even have the capacity to come through for me? Can he come through for me? How do I know he'll come through for me? Or will he just string me along with other religious platitudes and hang me out to dry? How do I know that Jesus can be trusted? And if I go to him, is he going to make something happen? Is he going to make something happen? Does he have the power to make it true? Well, that's what we're going to look at and spend the next 25 minutes or so talking about. Um, normally, when we sit and look in God's Word, we open up our Bibles and we have a passage of Scripture that we look through. We're going to do something different this morning. So I want to invite you to take out the note sheet in the program you came with or open up the notes section on your phone um, or your camera. Take some pictures of the screen, jot down some of these verses, and I want to encourage you to read them and find them and look at them this week. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in the rack in front of you, take it with you, um, and look those up or look them up on your phone. Um, but we're going to go through some verses this morning to look at this question. Is he going to come through? Does he have the power to come through for me? Does he have the power to come through for me? And I want to suggest to you that before we look at whether or not he has the power to come through for you, that um, Jesus was powerful. He was the mighty God. That's the name we're going to explore this morning. He was mighty and powerful before he was even born. Before he was even born. You're like, what do you mean before he was even born? born. Well, John chapter 1, John, one of Jesus' disciples, said this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That phrase, the Word, John goes on later to tell us was Jesus. And he describes him in this way in verse 3. He says, through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. You're like, wait a minute, I thought God did all of that. Back in Genesis, you know, the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the... Yeah, that's what it says, exactly. God created all of that. 
So where was Jesus when all of this took place? A little bit later in chapter 1, the writer records that it says, let us make man in our image. The us is more than one. And so it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three of them. So what was Jesus' part? Well, John tells us that through him everything that was made. And a little bit later, Paul says this in writing to a church in Colossae. He says, for in him all things were created, heaven and earth, visible, invisible, powers, rulers, through him and for him. Now, the in him, I, that's a hard one to wrap our minds about, but, but through him, that means somehow through Jesus, everything was made. Everything was made. Everything was made through him. This last one, for him, everything was made. Everything that was made, everything that was created, was for his glory and to somehow bring him praise. Think about that with me for a moment. He made kangaroos to bring him praise. He made planets to bring him praise. He made galaxies to bring him praise. He made the platypus to bring him praise. He made the T-Rex to bring him praise. He made the sun that keeps us warm to bring us praise. He made gravity. He made it all to bring him praise. You know, one of the things that leaves me, that stops me in my tracks every time I see it and experience it is a beautiful sunset streaked across the sky. Um, as, as intelligent and as creative as we have become as mankind, we cannot create a sunset as glorious as the colors and the breath and the depth and the immensity of it when the sun is setting and the colors are red and orange across the sky. We can't. I stop in my car when I see it. I take a picture when I see it. It just leaves me with my jaw dropping when I see that. And all I can say is, wow. Wow. Before, God, before Jesus ever showed up on the earth, before He was ever here, he made everything that we have, everything that we enjoy, for Him and for us. And then He decided it was time to come here. It was time to come here. For those of you sports fans, you know that this past summer, uh, the, uh, the best player in the NBA decided to switch teams, LeBron James. So imagine that you're a player for the Los Angeles Lakers, who were one of the worst teams in the league last year, and you hear that the best player on the planet just got traded to your team. Just got traded to your team. And he's got a reputation of going to the finals eight years in a row, winning several of them, league MVP. This guy has a reputation that goes before him when he shows up. And I want to suggest to you that before Jesus ever showed up on this earth, he had a reputation that went before him because he made it all. He made it all. By him, through him, and for him. It was all made. Before he ever showed up, he created it. And then when he did show up on the earth, he demonstrated his power while he was here on the earth. 
Jesus was the mighty God when he was here on the earth. This past fall, we've been in a series entitled Simply Jesus, looking at the stories of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And as we've walked through these stories, we've read accounts of Jesus doing things like opening the eyes of the blind, releasing the tongue of the mute, healing a paralyzed man, bringing a little girl back to life, uh, casting out evil spirits from a man who was possessed and controlled by them, healing a deformed hand of a man, calming the seas when the storms were so great the sailors thought they were all going to die, exposing the fear in the hearts of his followers. Jesus did all of this. He not only did it before he showed up, but he brought the goods when he was here. And that's what Luke said after he was gone. This is Peter speaking. He says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this guy. Jesus was a man of credited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. They had seen it and they had witnessed all the things that he had done. And we just got a little glimpse of it. We only just have a little glimpse of it. You say, what do you mean, just a little glimpse, John? Well, at the end of John's account of Jesus' life, he says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, this is John in his day writing, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. As I sat about that and thought about that, I thought, you know, in the stories of Jesus, we've been through eight chapters of Mark. There's maybe 10, 15, 20 accounts of miracles or things that he did, diseases that he healed, people that he transformed, people that were brought back to life, people that were freed from demons. And Jesus did this every day for multiple days for three years. Three years. Nearly a thousand days of him doing this over and over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus not only showed up before he ever got here, and his reputation preceded him, but when he was here, he did what he said he was going to do. How many of you have ever hired an employee in which you've gone over their resume, you've checked out their references, you've interviewed them, and you've been excited for them to come join your company and join your team? And after the first week or two of them being there, you're like, uh, this is not going to work out. This is not good. This is not good. They were not who they said they were going to be. They were not who they proclaimed they were going to be. How many of you have ever had uh, uh, the IT part of your company come to you and say, we've got this new application and it's going to streamline processes, it's going to simplify dilemmas, it's going to make us more efficient. And after two weeks of using this new system, you're like, what were they thinking? Sorry, IT guys, sorry. Um, You know, this is making it worse, right? That wasn't Jesus. That wasn't him. He said he was going to open the eyes of the blind, and guess what? He did it. He said he was going to release the the, the tongue of the mute. He did it. He said he was going to raise people from the dead. He did it. Everything he said he was going to do, he had the power to do it. And not only did he have the power before he ever showed up, Not only did he have the power 
when he was here to do what he said he was going to do. But he will demonstrate his power in the final days. In the final days. I do want to ask you to grab a Bible and turn to the book of Revelation. I want us to look at this. The book of Revelation. The last book in the Bible. If you have your, uh, your phone, turn to that on your, on your app. Um, Revelation, if you grab a Bible in the seat in front of you, it's page 1002. Page 1002. Go all the way to the last book in the Bible, the last couple, ver- the last couple chapters. The book of Revelation is just that. It's a revealing, a revelation of what Jesus is going to be like in the end. If you go to chapter 1, it says the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is revealing to us what He will be like in the final days of this world as we know it. Okay, That's what this book is about. John was writing it from a first century perspective. Um, A lot of stuff is very confusing because that's all he knew how to write about it. But we're going to look at what he says in Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19, let's look down at verse 11. It says this. So John's writing. He says, I saw the heavens open. So he's seeing, uh, this is a vision he had from from heaven of what's going to happen. And there before me was a white horse. So you got the picture? Okay, a white horse. And the rider who's called Faithful and True. Okay, let me just pause right there. So did did Jesus do everything that he said he was going to do? He did. So his words are faithful. You can count on him. You can take it to the bank. When Jesus was here on the earth, he made this statement. He said, I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. And what was the writer's name? Faithful and true. That is Jesus who is on that horse. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. So there's another name for him that we've never even heard, that nobody knows. He's the only one that knows that name. He's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. In John 1, John said, In the beginning was the what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and lived in our shoes. It's Jesus. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So he's coming, he's the rider on the white horse, faithful and true, prepared to do battle. Behind him is an army, all on their white horses, all dressed in white to do battle. Who are they doing battle against? Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. You know who's doing battle against Jesus? The one who's doing battle against Jesus is everything that represents what's evil and sinful in this world. He's described in John's writings as the beast and the false prophet, the one who represents evil, the one who is evil, and all who support him. They are all coming in a royal battle, in a clash for the ages between Jesus and his army and Satan and his representatives and his army. And what happens The beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed signs on his behalf. With these signs he deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Jesus defeated them. He captured them. He defeated evil. And he cast them into a place of suffering forever. And the rest were killed with a sword coming out of the mouth of the rider of his horse. Think about that for a minute. He defeats evil. He defeats the spreader of evil. He defeats those who follow and support evil. 
And think about what that means. It means that he defeated those who mistreat women. He defeated those who abuse children. He defeated those who paralyze you with lies. He defeated those who ruin marriages and destroy homes. He defeated those who enslave you with addiction. He defeated all of those things. And that is what he still will come to do. He is powerful enough that one day all sin and all evil and all of its insidious effects will be wiped out permanently for all of eternity. Jesus came with a powerful reputation. And when Jesus showed up, He made good on everything that He said He would do. And one day He's going to wrap it up with a demonstration of His power by destroying evil and its forces and its effects on our lives forever. That's who this mighty God is. And so the question is, how does this mighty God... How does this power show up in us today? How does it show up in us today? How many of you have had someone show you how to do something on your phone that you've never known how to do before? Let me see your hands. Anyone with a teenager needs to have your hand in the air right now because they've all shown us how to do things, right? All right? And even their friends have shown them how to do things that they didn't know how to do, right? So we have this sense that we have in our hands this device that has this incredible sense of power, this incredible capacity, and we don't quite know everything it can do. I imagine if I took a poll of you, many of you would say, oh yeah, there's stuff it can do. I don't even know. I don't even know how to do stuff on this thing, right? Right? So there's this sense that it's more powerful than we even know. Than we even know. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, I pray... He's writing to a group of Christ followers that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know His incredibly great power for us who believe. Paul says, I'm praying that your eyes open. I'm praying that you see it. I'm praying that it clicks. I'm praying you get it. That there is a power in you for every person who believes. What is this power? He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You know what power is in you if you're a follower of Jesus? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Something that had never been done before and never replicated. And not only raised him from the dead, but moved him from this earth to the heavens and put him at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning for all of eternity. That same power is in you. It's in you. It's in you. The same power that Jesus demonstrated when He created this earth, the same power that showed up all throughout His ministry, the same power that will take place when this world comes to an end and evil is defeated, that same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Is in you. Jesus said this to His followers, you're going to receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be great witnesses. Jesus says, i got to go. Why do you got to go? We don't want you to leave. We want you here with us. He said, no, I have to go. Because when I go, the power of God will come in you. It will come in you. 
Jesus said, my father is always at work, and I too am working. He said, I've started something in you that's going to continue. It's a good work that's going to continue. As long as you're here on this earth, it's going to keep going. And I'm going to do things through you that aren't your own strength. They're going to come from a power that you don't know where it comes from. It comes from Jesus in you. The mighty God in you as you choose to follow Him. So what does this look like? What does this mighty power look like in me? I want to suggest to you this morning that this mighty power in you gives you the ability to do three things. The power to say yes, the power to say no, and the power to wait. The power to say yes, the power to say no, and the power to wait. The power to yes, to say yes, is the power that God gives in you. You see, when you say to God, you say, God, I want to choose to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to Him. I don't want my life to be about me. I want to become a follower of His. You cannot do that on your own. It is your thoughts, it's your words, but it's the power of God in you to do that. When you choose to go public with your faith and say, I want to announce to my family and friends by being baptized, we're going to do that again in a couple months, and declare that I'm a follower of Jesus, it is not you. It's the power of God in you. When you serve and use your gifts and abilities to make a difference, whether it's with kids or with students or with technology or leading other adults or serving in our community, whatever it is, it's the power of God in you. when you love someone in your life who is unlovable and you don't know how you're going to be kind and gracious to someone who treats you badly, it's the power of God in you. And I'm pretty sure that all of us in the next three weeks are going to be with people who are unlovable. Aren't you? Some of, them, some of those are you. You're the unlovable ones. You just don't know it. But no, the truth is, we're all going to be with family members, Right? Oh, we just would rather be somewhere else. And you're like, God, I don't know how I'm going to love this person. I don't know how I'm going to care about their life. I don't know how to be kind and gracious. It's the power of God in you that enables you to say yes to the things God is saying yes for you to do in your life. But it's not only the power to say yes, but it's also the power to say no. It's the power to say no to friends who influence you to do wrong instead of right. It's a power to say no to family members who want you to function in sinful, selfish, codependent, um, uh, passive-aggressive, relating patterns. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to live in that way anymore. Parents, it's a power to say no to your kids when everything in you wants to just say yes just because you don't have an argument, because you don't have the time for an argument, and you don't have the capacity for an argument. And you know, I need to stand up and say no. It's a power to say no to your pose and shadow which wants you to relate to others in a healthy, unhealthy way. It's a power to say no to the demons in your head of your past that, and the lies that you believe that are continuing to try to enslave you. It's the ability to say no to that addictive struggle and I'm not minimizing how hard that is and the length of that struggle, but it's the power each day to begin and say, no, that is God through Jesus in you. 
It's also the power to say wait. To say wait. And this is one that hits me. Because I like to, I like to solve problems. I like to fix things. I like to get stuff done. I like to move forward. And it's hard for me to say, you know what? I'm going to trust God's power to wait. I'm going to trust God's power to restore a relationship that I've tried, I've poured myself into, and you know what, God? I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to give up. I'm not saying give up. I'm going to wait because I believe you are more powerful than I am. You've shown it before creation. You've shown it when you're here on this. You're going to do it when time ends. You're going to do something that I can't even imagine right now or dream it up, what that's going to be. But I'm just going to wait for you. It's the power to wait for someone you love to follow Jesus. And you've been praying for them. You've been sharing Jesus with them. It's the power to wait. Say, God, I'm going to trust them in your hands. It's the power to wait for a son or daughter to come back to you relationally or to come back to God when they've wandered far away. It's the power to wait for an answer to prayer that you've been praying for years and just wonder when God's going to come through. It's a power to free you from the demons of your pain and your past and your hurt. It's a power to do all those things. It's the power of God through Jesus in you to execute the plan that He has. And the question that I have to ask myself is, will I trust His power to work out this plan? Will I trust His power to work out His plan. You say, how do I know if I'm not trusting? How do I know if I'm not trusting? Well, if you're still controlling, you're not trusting. If you've thrown up your hands, you're not trusting. If you're panicked about it, you're not trusting. If you numb yourself to the pain of it, you're not trusting. You're not trusting. And so each one of us has an opportunity when we come to the wonderful counselor for the direction in our lives, to ask ourselves the question, am I going to trust a mighty God to do something in my life? And sometimes it's to say yes, and sometimes it's to say no, and sometimes it's to wait. I ask you if you bow your heads. And as you do, I just want to invite you to... Um, Take a moment and just talk to God about where your heart is, about trusting Him to execute His plan. God, as we think about Jesus being the mighty God, um, sometimes we lose sight of the power of God through Jesus that we've looked at today. And I pray, Father, that as we've looked at your word, it's just given us a glimpse, a reminder um, of who Jesus is. And not only a reminder of who he is, but encouragement to um, 
bring the things that we brought to him and trust that he has the power to do something about it. The power to execute the plan in our lives. So Lord, whether we need the power to say yes, to say no, or to wait, may this morning we be able to rest in your power and experience that this week.